Section 7 of Birds and All Nature, Volume 5, Number 1, January 1899. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Z. Martin. Birds and All Nature, Volume 5, Number 1, January 1899, Section 7, About Bees, by Fred A. Watt. This subject is an ancient and honorable one. The most ancient historical records make frequent references to the honeybee. A poem written 741 B.C. by Eremitus was devoted to bees. In Scripture we read of them and learn that Palestine was a land flowing with milk and honey, and we know that wild bees are very numerous there, even to the present time. In the year 50 B.C., Varro recommended that hives be made out of basket work, wool, bark, hollow trees, pottery, reeds, or transparent stone to enable persons to observe the bees at work. The name Deborah is from the Hebrew, and it means bee. Melissa, from the Greek, has the same meaning. Honey bees were introduced into the United States from Europe in the 17th century, and our wild honey bees are offspring of escaped swarms. Like all enterprising Yankees, they first settled in the eastern states and rapidly spread over the west, where they were regarded with wonder by the Indians and called the white man's fly. They traveled or spread with such regularity that some observers claimed to mark the exact number of miles which they traveled westward during each year. A great many species are almost or entirely worthless for domestic purposes, while those that are especially valuable are very few. The favorite at this time seems to be the Italian species, which was introduced into the United States in 1860. At the opening of the season each colony of honeybees contains one laying queen, several drones, and from 3,000 to 40,000 workers. The workers begin by cleaning up the hive, and the queen starts in to rear other bees at once. New comb is started, honey is brought in from the earlier varieties of flowers, and the busy bee is launched into another season of sweetness and good works. The United States Department of Agriculture, in one of its farmers' bulletins under the heading How to Avoid Stings, says, First, by having gentle bees. At the time I first read this, I thought they should have completed the advice by adding, and extract their stings, but I find on investigation that the subject of gentle bees, it is no light matter to the beekeeper, and that my idea that a bee is a bee, and hence entitled to all the room he requires, does not hold good. That a beekeeper, when purchasing a colony of bees of any species not well known to him, will ask if they are gentle in the same tone he would use as if he were inquiring about a horse. Bees seem to do well wherever there are flowers enough to furnish them with food, and are kept for pleasure and profit in all parts of our country. A small plot of ground is devoted to bees by the farmer, a village lot is often filled with hives, and even in our larger cities, especially in New York, Chicago, and Cincinnati, if not in the gardens or on the lawns, they may be found well established on the housetops, as many as thirty or forty colonies being found on a single roof. They can usually find enough food in and around a city to keep themselves busy without making long excursions. In fact, it sometimes happens that they find more abundant pasturage in a city than they would in the open country, 
especially where there are large parks and gardens or where the linden basswood trees have been set out in any considerable quantities sweet clover also sometimes overruns a neglected garden or a vacant lot and furnishes a rich field for the city-bred honeybee in egypt bees are transported on hive boats from place to place along the nile according to the succession of flowers the custom also prevails in persia asia minor and greece in scotland the same method is used while the heather is in bloom and in poland bees are transferred back and forth between summer pastures and winter quarters a few years ago a floating bee house was constructed on the mississippi river large enough to carry two thousand colonies it was designed to be towed up the river from louisiana to minnesota keeping pace with the blossoming of the flowers and then drop back down the river to the sunny south before cold weather should set in in the fall honey-bee ships have also been talked of which could carry bees to the west indies to cruise for honey during the winter the bee is not fastidious but will live in any kind of clean box or barrel that may be provided for its use hence it sometimes lives in queer places a swarm escaping will generally make its home in a hollow tree or in a fissure of some large rock the ancient english hives were generally made of baskets of unpeeled willow cork hives are in use in some parts of europe and earthenware hives are in use in greece and turkey glass hives are mentioned as far back as the year sixteen sixty five in seventeen ninety two movable comb hives were invented and in the century following more than eight hundred patents were granted on hives in the united states bee products form an important item of income in the united states more than two billion pounds of honey and wax being produced in a single season when we consider that this appalling amount of sweetness is gathered a drop here and a drop there it leads us to figures too large to be comprehended in considering the value of bees we must by no means think of honey as their sole product as beeswax is an important article after the honey has been extracted from the comb the latter is mixed with water and boiled down to run into firm yellow cakes from which the color disappears if exposed for a certain length of time to the air thin slices are exposed until thoroughly bleached when it is again melted and run into cakes and it is known as the white wax of commerce before oil lamps came into use large quantities of this white wax were used in the manufacture of candles which made the best light then known as they burned better than tallow candles and without the smoke or odor which made the tallow article objectionable the advent of the oil lamp the gas jet and the electric light have practically disposed of its usefulness in that direction except in devotional exercises although colored tapers made of white wax are now used for decorative purposes especially during the holiday season when numbers of them are used to light our christmas trees white wax is also used extensively for making ornamental objects such as models of fruits and flowers whole plants are sometimes reproduced and models of various vegetables and animal products are reproduced in colored wax and used for educational or museum purposes the anatomist finds it of great value in reproducing the normal and diseased structures of the human form no doubt the original waxworks of mrs jarley made famous by dickens in the old curiosity shop were a collection of wax images made from the product of the honey-bee metheglin is a drink made from honey and is consumed largely in some parts of the world it is the nectar which the ancient scandinavian expected to sip in paradise using skulls of his enemies as goblets the east indies and the philippine islands seem to be under special obligations to astonish the world in everything 
and in order to keep pace with their reputations, have produced honeybees of three sizes, one of which is the smallest honeybee known, and another the largest. The smaller variety is so diminutive that one square inch of comb contains 100 cells on each side. The entire comb, as it hangs from the twig of a small tree or bush, is only about the size of a man's hand. The workers are a little longer, but somewhat more slender than our common housefly, and are blue-black in color, with the exception of the anterior third of the abdomen, which is bright orange. The giant East Indian honeybee, which is probably identical with the giant of the Philippines, is the largest known species of the genus. They are about one-third larger than our common bee, and build huge combs of very pure wax which are attached to overhanging ledges of rock or to the limbs of large trees. These combs are often five or six feet in length, three or four feet in width, and from one and one-half to six inches in thickness. The amount of honey that they gather in the course of a season is enormous, and it has been suggested that if introduced into this country they might be of immense value, as they would doubtless visit mainly the plants which our honey-bees could not well gather from, such as red clover, and thus increase the amount of clover seed as well as the quantity of honey already produced. Up to date, however, it is not proven that they will live in hives, or that they can live at all in this climate, the latter being regarded as extremely doubtful by some of our best-informed bee-men. Not the least interesting thing in an apiary is the honey extractor, consisting of a large can inside of which a light metal basket is made to revolve by means of simple gearing. The frames containing the full comb are placed in this basket, the caps being shaved off. After several rapid revolutions, the comb is found to be empty, and is then returned to the hives to be refilled by the bees. The queen bee is about one-third larger than the worker, and is the mother and monarch of the hive. Queens are sometimes raised by beekeepers for sale, especially by those who have an improved strain of a certain species, or a new and desirable species of bee. When the beekeeper gets a male order for a queen, he procures a mailing cage, which is a small box-like cage covered with wire screen and cloth, in one end of which he places a supply of food, the other end being occupied by a ventilator. The queen and from eight to twelve workers, as royal attendants, are then placed in the cage, the wire screen and cloth covers carefully wrapped around them, the address written, a one-cent stamp affixed, and Her Royal Highness is ready for her trip across the continent or with additional postage around the world. When, from any cause, the bee pastures become unproductive, bees from different hives often declare war on their neighbors, the strong colonies singling out as enemies those that are weak or disorganized by loss of a queen. The war is always pursued without quarter, and thousands on each side perish in the fray, the victors always carrying off every drop of honey in the hive of the vanquished, leaving the unfortunate survivors of the defeated hive to perish by starvation. In many parts of England, when a member of the family dies, someone must tell the bees. This is done by taking the house door key and rapping thrice on each hive, repeating at the same time the name of the deceased and his station in the family. If the ceremony is omitted, the bees will surely die. In some places, the hives are draped with a strip of black cloth when a death occurs in the family, and with white cloth in the case of a wedding. If these ceremonies are omitted, the bees are insulted and will leave. Singing a psalm in front of a hive that is not doing well will also set all things right, in some parts of England. 
I will not attempt to explain how the American beekeeper rears bees without these ceremonies, but refer the reader to the various handbooks on beekeeping which will doubtless explain it. The bees occupy a position in the economy of nature far higher than that of mere honey-gatherers. The service they render in pollinizing the flowers is worth far more to the world than the endless stores of honey. There are a number of flowers that are so adjusted that their pollen cannot of itself reach the stigma, but is so disposed that it is certain to be carried away by any bee or moth that chances to visit it, while the stigma is so placed that an incoming bee is certain to reach it on first alighting on the flower and dust it with the pollen which has accumulated on the hairs on the under portion of the bee, or has clung to its legs. This, of course, causes cross-fertilization, a peculiar and wonderful provision of nature which seems to be necessary for the preservation of fruits and flowers and for the improvement of the different kinds. Whole volumes have been written on the subject, which even now is not entirely understood, but a single case will give a little insight into the matter. The common primrose will produce, even from seeds selected from the same pod, two different kinds of flowers, in about equal proportions, which are sterile of themselves. But each kind may, by means of the good offices of the bee or other honey-loving insect, fertilize the other. If no bees or other insects visit either of these flowers, no seed can be produced, and the life of the plant ends in a single season. Cross-fertilization is necessary to some plants and beneficial to all. Nature has so devised it, and has accordingly made the flowers conspicuous to insects by painting them, in most cases, a different and brighter hue than the foliage of the plant, making the blossom, in some cases, give forth a pleasant odor, and in nearly all cases causing the flower to secrete the nectar which the insects love. Flowers which do not attract the insects by their bright colors, odors, or nectar, are generally adapted to cross-fertilization by the wind or are partly or wholly fertile in themselves. It is a pretty well-established fact that the flowers which we particularly esteem, the bright-colored, perfumed, nectar-producing varieties, owe their existence to the bees. We also owe the fruits which we love to the selection of the bee to a large extent. Some of the best varieties of strawberries are entirely sterile, and must be planted in close proximity to fertilizing varieties in order to bring forth any fruit at all. Some varieties of pears also require fertilization by bees, and cannot bear fruit if bees are excluded. Even the apple is not perfect unless fertilized by the bees, five distinct pollinizations being required to perfect a single blossom. And in places where orchards do not bear, it is often found that the introduction of four or five hives of bees for each one hundred trees will cause them to bring forth fruit in abundance. So whether we wear bright flowers, or eat fruit or honey, or stroll through meadows sweet with clover, the handiwork of the bee follows us and impresses us with the fact that our little friend lives only to give us sustenance, sweetness, and pleasure. End of section 7